Welcome to the Business Magic Broadcast. I'm Nicole Colton, your host, and the human behind my business, Quartz & Cole. On this podcast, we share stories and support for spiritual small business owners and creative entrepreneurs who want to learn how to build, run, and grow their business ventures in a more sustainable, intuitively aligned way. Tune in to hear exclusive interviews with an eclectic mix of magical entrepreneurs who are generously sharing their valuable experiences with us. You'll also find solo episodes about my unique approach to business and marketing that prioritizes having conversations, making connections, and building communities. I'll also talk about the natural cycles and stellar systems I've tapped into on my own entrepreneurial journey. I'm so excited to share what I've learned along the way and show you how to build a business that works for you. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm joined by Rebecca Moran from the 304 Collective. Rebecca is a West Virginia born and raised entrepreneur. She loves fixing things up to make them better, like old buildings, old houses, and rescued pets. Rebecca loves houseplants and building community. She's an active member of the local community, striving to make an impact as an advocate and an ally for inclusivity. Thank you for coming on the show today, Rebecca. Yeah, thanks for having me. Why don't you start us off by talking a little bit about your business here at the 304 Collective, where we're actually recording today. It's very cool. And share a little bit about how you got started. Sure. So we, we've had a video production business since 2012. My husband and myself, and we just solopreneurs kind of doing our own thing, operating out of our home. And a couple of years ago, he struggled with editing at home, you know, with kids and all the responsibilities of a house, you know, trying to fit focus and really started talking about a studio space. I thought I would never get any work done if I couldn't do it at home because I was doing things in between cooking dinner and doing loads of laundry and, you know, picking up kids and all that kind of stuff. But we also have a very small 1940s bungalow with limited closet space And video requires a lot of gear and we had like one closet to put stuff in. And so it was kind of a mess of jangaing things in there after (laughs) and before every film shoot. And he just wouldn't do it. He'd get home and just like drop the gear in the living room be like, we're done. That's good. So I was kind of excited about having somewhere else to store our gear. And we had been talking with a local photographer about the potential of sharing space. Neither one of us needed it, you know, all that much, but it would be great. And we rented our first studio over on Adam Street. I still love that studio. We actually had looked for a place for about a year before we found that one. And I know the guy who owns it, Eddie Snyder, who owns Adam's Office Supplies, he's a great guy. I know him personally. And we looked at some of the space that he had and it just, it wasn't right for us. And then the timing kind of fell through And when that space came open, he called me and he said, hey, are you still looking for space? I have something I think you'll really like. And I said, well, Eddie, I don't know. We we didn't end up renting anywhere. And he said, well, why don't you just come look at it and see it? And so we walked in and it has this beautiful mural, this brick mural on the wall that was an advertisement for men's suit shop that used to be in the building next door back in the 1920s. And it was just, it's gorgeous. And Chris was immediately skipping around. He was like, this is it. We're doing it. It's going to be great. (laughs) And I'm like doing the math in my head, figuring out. And I'm like, okay, it seemed like a big leap, but let's go ahead and do it. So we rented there for two years and loved the space. 
and loved having space to have people in to do things mm-hmm. um, and learned that there are a lot more people who really did need an occasional studio space, but they don't even use it enough to rent one. And so we did some limited rentals there and the space was cute and cozy and homey and I loved it, but it was also really limiting for photographers. I had one window in the front. Mm -hmm. And one day my daughter and I were walking our dog. This is our neighborhood. We live here. We walk here almost every day and took a little bit of a different route down to Morgantown Avenue. It's busier than our, our little back streets. And this building was for sale. And, you know, Cease looked at it and she was like, oh, mom, look at those windows. And the whole front of it is just beautiful windows that are southern facing they get gorgeous light there's a porch that has a nice overhang so with the exception of midwinter when the sun is low there's not direct light it's very soft and filtered big high ceilings and open and you know I said well we'll we'll call you know a realtor friend and get the information on it but it's probably out of our price range like it's that's a big step so my realtor friend looked up the info and sent it. And I was like, oh, that's actually not that big of a step, <laughs> especially because there are two apartments overhead that were at the time rented and still are fully rented, uh, which, you know, doing the math really helped to offset most of the cost. So, you know, we started going down this road of what does it look like to purchase a property and develop a business plan? Cause you know, when we started our video business, we didn't have a business plan. We just wanted to make videos yeah. and we did. Thankfully, Chris was better at the pricing aspect than I was in the beginning. Cause I would have just given crap away, but he was like, no, this is what we need to charge to be able to make money. And we need to make money from the get go. So he was better at that. But you know, by, by six years in, I had kind of developed my own process on that. And so wrote up a business plan, got it reviewed through, you know, someone I had met through Tuesdays together and someone at the WVU Small Business Administration. They review those things for free and we'll give you, you know, just some feedback on it. Made a few little tweaks and changes and took it to a local bank and they literally looked at the business plan and they were like, yeah, we're going to fund this. Let's do it. That is amazing. So, and So we got the keys to the building June 24th, 2019, and spent a couple of months renovating. We had a great contractor who was willing to work with us. We are that contractor's nightmare who says, (laughs) hi, I don't have the money to hire you to do it all. So I have to do some of it myself. Can you line item price things for me and work with me on this? And he was willing to do it. His guys are amazing. You know, they were down here building the bathroom that we added and this podcast studio while my father-in-law was upstairs replacing pieces of trim and helping us to level floors um, and put down new flooring and painting. So we, we got really lucky that we found a good contractor and then we kind of opened the studio in that September, 2018. Wow. That feels very serendipitous. Like one thing, just like stumbling into the next and you know, being in the right place at the right time. I actually had the chance to go to the old studio and it was really cozy. It was really fun. That historical preservation with that brick wall and the painting was really cool. Do you miss working there? A little bit. I do miss being downtown. I miss going, you know, down to the coffee shop. I miss being right next door to Adams whenever I needed like 
a marker or, <laughs> you know, something I can just pop over and get it. Loved the brick wall. It was a pain to clean up after. And when we bought this building, there was some exposed brick because there were some patches of plaster that had fallen and needed repaired. And we had that debate. Do we expose brick and leave it? Or do we patch and repair? And having cleaned <laughs> a brick wall, we chose to patch and repair. First, leave the brick raw because it is a constant dust factory. Yeah. Are you happy with that decision now? Yes. I am happy. And the other thing with that is it's a very distinctive look. Like Mm -hmm. it makes everything look the same. And the nice thing about the clean white walls, neutral floor of our space is you can make it look like anything you can, you know, we have a ton of different studio flats and backdrops with different patterns and deep colors with the seamless backdrops that you can use as a seamless, or you can just make it look like the wall is a different color you can make it look like anything. You're not kind of stuck in that. Oh yeah. It's that same studio with the exposed brick wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good point. And you could probably always find something that looked like a faux brick wall to use as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you opened up in September of 2019. How have things changed since then? Well, there was a global (laughs) pandemic. So that changed a lot of things. You know, when we first opened, we had really hoped to do like drop-in co-working, just like very, you know, a bunch of different levels of co-working for people who needed it. And then the pandemic hit. And obviously that wasn't something that was going to be happening for a while. People didn't want to get together to work anymore. We needed to work from home. So, you know, thankfully, like I said, we have two apartments on the second floor, which help financially keep keep everything, you know, paid for, even when work wasn't going on in this space. We also got really lucky with our photographer friend. He has someone move in. So in addition to renting the studio on like an hourly or daily basis, we have three studio shares, which are people who move in, set up shop and call it home. And so one of those is myself with our video production businesses. We have kind of the area in the loft that I use for our gear and for storage and editing and then um, Melissa Rose Photography has a studio share. And she is the person we shared with over on Adam Street anyway. She probably would have moved with us in the beginning. But she, you know, it was easy for us to close up for three months while we flipped this building. And she had newborns that mm-hmm. she had to have somewhere to photograph. So she just couldn't do it. And she actually moved in right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was good for all of us. It gave us some income where we were missing on our regular rentals and co-working payments. And it was way cheaper for her than what she would have been paying in rent and utilities on an independent space of her own. So it was kind of the best of both worlds. So since then, we still haven't opened back up for drop-in co-working, which is just any anyone who happens to need a place to work for the day can just come anytime. We're still not doing that. And that's still kind of not on our slate. We don't have a timeline for when we're going to start that again. It's just, it hasn't become feasible Video business has been good even through the pandemic because people realized, you know, video is a way that we connect when we can't be together in person. Mm -hmm. It's not the same and it will never replace being in person. But when you can't do that, video is the next best thing. And so there were people who needed to get their message out and needed to connect people within the medical community who needed to be sharing information with their clients. And so even during the pandemic, like it, 
it was a little scary and kind of funny to look back on now because the filming that we did for people in the medical community was among the safest that we could have ever done. Yeah. Because they were just very stringent on the guidelines and what needed to be done to keep everyone safe, including us. But, you know, we would go wear our N95s to film in, which we only had two left over when we did drywall here before. And so we would wear those. And then like immediately when you get home, you strip off all your clothes and like get in the shower because you just don't know. Mm -hmm. So, and you know, within our, when weddings started happening, people wanted more video, they wanted live streaming. So the video industry has been good. That has kept me out of the studio a good bit. So I can't be here in person necessarily to facilitate drop-in co-working as much as I had been in the past as well. So we changed things up to more of a membership base where, you know, people with studio shares and our co-working members, they have a key, they have a security access, so they can come and go at will and use the space as needed. And that kind of seems to be working for everybody a little bit better maybe than the drop-in was before. Yeah, I can vouch for that. I did co-working here before COVID and I'm back now. I launched a Kickstarter when I was here before. It's a great place to come and be inspired by the space, but not overwhelmed because it's like really minimalist, but surrounded by all kinds of plants and stuff. So it is inspiring, but it just gives you that place where you're not distracted by all the housekeeping or other people in your home or the loud clamoring at a coffee shop or something like that. You really can come and settle in for the day and get comfortable, or there are plenty of desk spaces to have more formal working space. Um, And it's nice to just have have a reason to get up and get ready and go to work, just that intentional um, activity. So recently, you've also been focusing a lot of energy on your newer ventures in real estate. Um, You mentioned the apartments and buying this building. Do you want to share anything else about that adventure or some of your? Um, Yeah. I mean, part of the reason is I just like creating spaces. Even before I bought the building, it's something that I liked doing, you know, in our home. And then we have the building and this beautiful space to do it with. And again, we bought it. The apartments upstairs were rented. And so I didn't want to mess with anything up there. Like I believe in letting people live their lives and not getting in the way of doing that. So other than when they requested we make repairs on something, I tried to leave them alone. But there is a hallway up there and it had this terrible drop ceiling (laughs) and just ugly lighting and the tiles were broken. So I would go up and like just make little changes in the hallway to improve it. I'm really happy with how it looks right now, but you know, never, never in either of the apartments. And I know like one of the tenants could have cared less what I did. The other one was very much, she liked her thing. She did not like change. And so she definitely noticed when I made a change in the hallway kind of thing. And so I kind of dialed that back. And then prior to the pandemic, one of our tenants had mentioned she might start looking for a house to buy. And so we knew that that was coming. And then the pandemic hit and she was like, that's done. I'm not moving. Like, I'm just, we're locking things down. But again, serendipity, her realtor found a space and said, hey, you got to come look at this house. It's perfect for you. You got to see it. And it was perfect for her. So she decided to move. And at the time, our other tenant, I think, figured, well, good time for me to go too. And so both of our tenants decided they were going to move out mid-pandemic, which makes you very, very scared because you're like, oh gosh, there is all of the income 
for this building that, you know, when you have a new business venture, you're only two years in, you don't have a huge amount of savings to carry you through things. You've got the bare minimum. And so we knew like we needed to fill them fast, but we also knew there were some things that we wanted to do to the apartments. And it at like one of the things we wanted to do needed both apartments vacant at the same time. And when was this ever likely to happen again? So we better <laughs> just go ahead and do it. Exactly. So we spent our December, Christmas, New Year's flipping apartments. The building is really interesting if you're a history geek and I am. It used to be down here, it was a general store, um, mostly grocery. And then upstairs, it was a boarding house. So the two apartments used to have one long central hallway and then little rooms off of each one. And families could rent one room or two rooms or a whole line of rooms because they all connect. But then they also go to the hallway. And there was one shared bathroom and kitchen at the back. Oh my gosh. So sometime prior to 1940, it had been flipped into two railroad style or shotgun apartments. And that is an apartment where you can see from the back to the other end of it through the doors when they're all open. So each apartment has a bathroom in the very back, then a kitchen, then a large kind of double room that is living and dining, and then two bedrooms. And the bedrooms are separated by these really beautiful pocket doors that are still there and both they work in both apartments. And it also has a ton of closets, which if you have an old building, you know, is not a thing. So rare. <laughs> yeah. So they both have these great big walk-in pantries and closets and that central hallway had kind of been cannibalized as more closet and storage space and was not being used. And we decided what we wanted to do was to give that hallway back to one of the apartments and make it a true two bedroom because the shotgun style. And I love them. I love the architecture of it. We vacationed in them as a family. When we went to New Orleans, the place that we stayed was a shotgun apartment. Mm-hmm. Super cute. But if you have a family or you're even roommates, not crazy functional for long-term living. So we wanted to make one of them more functional as a, as a true two bedroom. And so we needed to both apartments to be vacant while we kind of flipped that hallway over to the one apartment. And the other apartment had not been updated recently at all. The carpet was very, very old. It was just badly in need of updating. So it got completely flipped. We took out the carpet. There were hardwoods underneath, gorgeous. We sanded them, we finished them. I had noticed when I was doing a a plumbing repair Prior to the tenant moving out, the almond colored bathroom, and I mean almond from the tile on the floor to the faux ceiling in the bathroom. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Everything was almonds, but there was like a little chip on one of the tiles. And I realized that they had painted over vintage tile. And so I was like, well, it might not work, but I'm going to strip all that paint off and (laughs) see what's underneath. And it's like the amazing Technicolor dream coat under there. In that, you know, what had happened was, you know, starting in 1940 down here, instead of a general store, it became flooring, tile, carpet, and they had just taken tiles, the little four by four ceramic colored, those beautiful vintage colors that they had left over from projects and made just like a patchwork in this bathroom, which sounds crazy. And it is crazy. And it's a love it or hate it kind of thing. (laughs) Like, I know my mother-in-law looked at it and she was like, that is ugly. My father-in-law at least told me he thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool. And luckily, the tenants that we're renting to now thought it was pretty cool. So we stripped all of that almond paint off of everything. I took down that cheap, bendable shower surround. Mm -hmm. We had to patch in some tile work behind there. 
We did not get new countertops because we couldn't get them in time because, you know, if you've tried to do a home project or build anything during COVID, you know that like you have to order things in advance. Supplies are hard to come by. Things are sometimes very expensive. Yeah. So I bought a little epoxy counter kit and redid the counters and they have held up really well. And we were really lucky in that we worked really hard to get them flipped in, in a month and rented almost immediately. And so, yeah, we, I just have learned that I like kind of creating those spaces. And we've also learned that, and it's kind of unfortunate, but probably the easiest way to create wealth, particularly in your retirement is property. It is to own property. And it is also unfortunate that it was easier for us to purchase property as a business than it was when we purchased our house. Because if you go in with a good looking business plan and you have a track record of a business that, you know, our, our video business, even though it was completely different than any kind of property business, the bank said, oh, well, you have a track record of being a good business owner who pays their taxes, who has this history of doing good business. Mm-hmm. Looks like you've thought this out. So yeah, we're just going to give you money to do it. The credibility that goes with all that. Which is really unfortunate because, you know, people, it should be the other way around it should be easier for people to get into homes. And no matter how often or how much we rent property, because not everyone can buy a home or wants to buy a home, we're always going to make nice places for people to live, but also completely understand when they say, hey, it's time for me to buy. We're going to be like, yes, we celebrate that for you. Mm -hmm. It should always be, you know, available to people to have their own spaces. But in the meantime, Again, not everybody can buy a house. Not everybody's in a position to do that. And not everybody wants to do it. And so we want to create good spaces that people want to live in and kind of be the good guys as far as the landlord world goes. Yeah. You feel like your enjoyment of doing the renovation projects and learning those skills yourself has made it easier to invest in properties and have that, you know, confidence to go at these big projects and huge undertakings? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you start something, you don't know what you don't know until you learn it. Mm -hmm. And you make mistakes along the way and you learn. And there are still things that I know, like I need to hire people to do these, or I want to hire people to do these. And then, but it's also good to know, like, you know, if, if one of my tenants calls me and says, Hey, my washer and dryer won't work or my stove won't work, or there's something wrong with the plumbing up here. I can go up and probably fix it because you can't always get somebody to come and do it. It's just, it's really hard to find, you know, all the good contractors. Like I said, we were lucky to find a good one to work with. They're so busy. They're so in demand. And we've hired other people who didn't do good work. Like if I'm going to hire someone to do something for me, and this is the same in, you know, the building and contracting world or in the video world, I want you to be able to do at least a good a job as I can probably better. And that goes like tenfold in the contracting world. Cause I'm not a contractor. So like, you should definitely be able to do it better than I can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's very sage advice. So I do get very unhappy if I have to pay somebody for something because I just don't have the time to do it. And they do shoddy work that I would have been able to do better on my own because I'm not a contractor. My work isn't always the best. So, yeah. Yeah. If I can watch YouTube and figure out how to fix something better than someone I'm hiring, it's it's not going to end well. (laughs) Are you working on anything exciting right now? 
I mean, honestly, right now, just kind of getting through this season, it has still been a very busy season for video in that a lot of our 2020 work was postponed into 2021. And then we had a lot of already booked 2021 work. And when thing, when it started looking like this pandemic was going to be over, people wanted to get out and have fun again. A lot of people decided they were getting married. So there was stuff that got postponed, stuff that was already on the books. And then everyone in the whole world deciding, <laughs> let's go out and have a good time. And we don't want to wait to live our lives. And I celebrate that. Like I celebrate not waiting to live your life in whatever way you decide to do that. But it has meant... We are very incredibly busy right now. So we're kind of just treading water with anything else we have while we get through this season. And mm-hmm. then in November, I'm going to take a breather and see what the world looks like. Yeah. You guys are really good at building in vacation time and taking time with family and stuff like that. How do you work that into your schedule being an entrepreneur and having multiple businesses? It's not easy. We plan well in advance. Most times we plan our vacation eight months before we take it. And I put it on the calendar and I simply do not accept work during that week. If I get inquiries for something, I do not accept it. Also, like, you know, Chris and I have very different work styles. He loves to work on a deadline. Like that is his time of when he feels most inspired and able to do his best work is when he is under the wire and he has got to get it done. Mm -hmm. I cannot function like that. And I like to get work done as soon as I have it because I am just do that thing in my head where everything becomes a catastrophe sometimes we're like I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and if that happens then is all my work backed up and do I have people who know how to finish it for me and is my will complete and like all of these things so it's not healthy to do that but it is also healthy to have a plan and know that like oh I'm going on vacation the first week of June and that means any projects that are due due the first week of June or really do the last week of May. That way I don't have to think about work on my vacation. This year was the exception. I had 2020 couple postpone their wedding in 2021. And, you know, if you've ever planned a wedding, you know that like you just don't have a lot of options when rescheduling. And if you have a venue that you love and you want to work there, you've got to go with what dates. And then you're also trying to coordinate 10 other vendors and the date that she was able to get everybody together was the first week of our vacation. So, I mean, it wasn't the end of the world. I missed solid two days and really had hoped to maybe just extend it another week. I was like, well, I'll just, I don't want to cut it short. I'll have an extra week, but it turns out we vacation on the Outer Banks Mm -hmm. have for the past 20 years. Love it. The entire Outer Banks was sold out this year. So, I mean, that's kind of not to like, silver lining a pandemic. But I think a lot of people have realized the value of taking time off and taking downtime and enjoying the people in your lives that have meaning to you and that value you, you know, at the end of the day, your job is your job and those people are your life and you got to spend time with them. So there were no extra weeks to be had as far as vacation, but that's fine. We have another one coming up. We also started traveling with our kids for Christmas. So instead of giving them gifts, because they are well spoiled on both sides by grandparents, they lack for (laughs) nothing. 
we give them a trip every year for Christmas. And so of course this year we, you know, again, mid pandemic, you're like, well, maybe things will be better by January. We're going to, we're going to plan that trip anyway. We're going to plan it well, that's fully refundable and transferable. We're not going to lose any money if it's not, but even up until mid November, when things were looking very, very bad Mm -hmm. and in any rational person would have been like, no, that's not going to happen. I was like, well, it might get better. We might be (laughs) able to do it. And finally, like that first week of December, we were like, it's not, it is not going to happen. We are not going to be able to get on an airplane. And we had planned a pretty socially distant trip, but it did mean getting on an airplane and traveling and that kind of thing. And we just were not comfortable doing that in January. So we rented a cabin in the mountains for a couple of days, went skiing as a substitute, and we still gave the kids a trip to Arizona. Mm -hmm. So we are doing that in November. Hopefully. I feel like it's important to add that you are a Capricorn. (laughs) So I think a lot of that becomes very obvious (laughs) when you know that about you. I mean, every, everybody has their, their rituals and routine that make them feel better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people it's incense and crystals and magic. And for some people it's spreadsheets and lists and planners. And I am the spreadsheet list and planner person. I totally get behind both of those lifestyles. (laughs) So speaking of which, plants have a major presence in the studio here, but what are some other ways that you personally make your life more magical or how do you include like magical elements in your everyday life? Well, I think too, the creation of spaces you want to be in and live in is something that I really value. When we bought our house, it's not a large house. It's very small. But off of one of the rooms, there had been this sunroom. It doesn't really get much sun. And the roof in it was bad when we bought the house. So the first five to seven years that we lived there, we just had the door shut and we did not use it. And then when we had our roof redone, I started finishing that. And I created this, you know, that's our bedroom now. And the room off of that is like my little sunroom. And it is like the one place in my house that my kids do not come. And they do not leave their half full (laughs) cups and their junk food wrappers sitting around. I do share it with the cats, one of whom sheds copiously, but we deal with that. And I think just having like those spaces that are spaces of peace. And that is part of why I designed the studio to be uncluttered and clean. And why I think it works well when you want to get away and work is I cannot work well in chaos. I had like, I just work better when I'm surrounded by like a calm sense of serening. And that's part of why, first off, plants make any place better and they make it feel established. Like if there were no plants in this space, you would walk in here and think lots of white walls, lots of open floor. You just moved in. You clearly haven't decorated yet. And then you put some plants in there and it's like, oh, this is your home. You live here. Yeah. Plants just make everything feel better. And it, gives me a respite when I'm, you know, and I did this yesterday, like working on editing and just like hitting a wall and getting stuck on something. I can change gears and say, you know what? I got to water all these plants. I'm going to take 30 minutes and I'm going to just water the plants. And your mind just kind of shuts off for a little bit. And you're just counting seconds while you're pushing (laughs) a button and dispensing some water as needed. And it's just, you're still being productive. You're still 
working and taking care of things, but it's a different, it's a change of pace from what you were stuck on. I'm glad I'm not the only person who counts when they water. <laughs> it was just like a weird quirky thing that I did. Well, I don't like some of these plants are like their pots are so big and I use the whole like watering meter, but I don't really trust it all that mm-hmm. much. And so that's the best way I know. Like I know which ones get like five seconds of water <laughs> and which ones get 40 seconds of water. Yeah. It's just like intuitive plant mom thing. <laughs> plant parent. You're also a tea drinker. Yeah. And you guys do some nature hiking and stuff like that too, right? Yeah. Where do you hope to be in your business in the future? Or like, what's the big dream look like? That is always changing for us. And, you know, I have kids that are older and something that I think my son is, is finally kind of starting to figure out. And it was just so hard for him when these kids are in high school. Now we make them feel like they have to know what they want to do with the rest of their life. Like when they're 16, 17, 18. And, you know, he really didn't. And I thought I did at that age and I'm not doing that now. So when I was like a senior in high school, I was signed up to go to college and biology track. And I thought I was going to go to medical school and be a physician. And then that summer in between high school and college, it's really stupid, but I couldn't give up the marching band. I just loved the freaking marching band. The only way you get to be the marching band as an adult is if you teach it. So I switched my major and got my degree in music education And I loved it while I did it. And then I didn't love it anymore. And I decided to do something else. And so I think it's the same with, you know, video or creating our spaces. I'm going to do them while I love them. And if I don't, then I'm going to do something else. That's really encouraging. And I think a lot of people need to hear that. There's still so many people with big voices booming about just You have to go to school and get a job and work until you retire and then you can live your life. And it needs to be this certain way that it's the way it's always been. And that's really not the way it's always been. It's the way it's been for a lot of people, but not everybody. And I don't regret getting my degree. I learned a lot of really valuable things in college and I loved certain aspects of teaching. But anybody who's a teacher knows that our education system is I mean, it's so, you're like bound and chained and there are kids that need so much help and there's so little we can do for them. And it was just, it was heartbreaking to me and it took an emotional toll on me. So like teachers that are able to get in there every day and keep doing that and with the emotional toll that it takes on you, it's, you know, it is really something. So there, there was that aspect of it. And, you know, I started my business because as a working mom, I wanted the flexibility to spend time with my kids. I was a latchkey kid. I was mostly a feral child. (laughs) I can't see you being anything (laughs) close to feral. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Yeah, we were, we were grossly unsupervised from, from quite a young age. And I wanted to be available to my kids after school. So when they had a crappy day, like they had somebody to, to talk to him about it with. I wanted to know what where they were and you know who they were hanging out with. I wanted to be able to say like any day my kid said, hey, can so-and-so come over after school? I wanted to say with clean conscience, yep. 
And it doesn't matter who that kid is. Cause I'm going to, I can be around. Mm-hmm. So like you can invite any kid over. Yeah. Um, cause I know that nothing, nothing bad is going to happen. Cause I'm going to, you know, I'm letting them do their own thing or whatever, but I'm around and it is easier when your kids are older, but it doesn't go away. Yeah, definitely. Are you self-taught with your video production stuff or did you get additional, like, did you go back and get any formal education for that? Or did you just learn and a little bit of both? So Chris is almost solely self-taught and the very beginning of our video business, he, he taught me what I needed to know about a camera. And literally our first shoot we went on, I had notes written down because I was so afraid that I was going to forget which settings it is an overwhelming cameras have a ton of buttons. And if you just, I had been a hobby photographer for years and years. So I knew, you know, what looked good and what didn't, but I, I was afraid I would forget how to make it look good. And so I had literal notes written down on what the settings needed to be. And if I needed to just exposure, I needed to do it in this way and all these kinds of things. And so we went through kind of a storytelling training to talk about that aspect of it, like the the emotional, the story aspect of our films, because all of our films, even, even the work that we do for corporate tends to be more narrative in nature. Now we do strict video production with interviews and talking heads and that kind of thing as needed. But most of the work we do is very narrative and that the message is given through the story that is told through a combination of audio, the, the spoken word and the images that we use in it. And so we did a course with a company out of Seattle that kind of has a really good explanation of how you do that through video. And then, you know, for many years, probably the first four years of our business, Chris did all of the editing and that's a lot. And I said, you know, I need, I need to learn to do this. I need to be able to take this. You know, he has a full-time job outside of our business. At the time I only had a part-time job. I was like, I need to, to figure out how to do this. And he is amazingly talented, does a lot of things really well. Teaching is not one of them. (laughs) Calling on the husband. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's true. Like he will probably always be a better editor than me. He will always be a better filmmaker than me. He is not a teacher. So he could not teach me to use Final Cut Pro. It is an intense program. It is overwhelming. And I was incredibly lucky and they don't do it anymore, which makes me very sad because a lot of people ask me like, hey, where can I learn this? our community college at the time had a final cut pro editing course online for continuing ed. And so I signed up and took that class. And again, I'm a person when I have a deadline, like I'm going to get an A in the class and therefore I'm going to learn things and do it. Whereas yes, all that information is available on YouTube and you could sit down any Tuesday and learn it. But the fact of the matter is I wasn't going to, Mm -hmm. I had to have that like, oh, this is going on your college transcript, which doesn't matter. Nobody ever looks at or uses anymore, but you still wanted to have an A. And I took that course and it was very, very cheesy acting stuff (laughs) that we had to edit together, but it did teach me the, the technique of the program. Are you glad you got that more formal experience? Yes. Yeah. So after almost 20 years in business, What's the craziest thing that's happened? Have you had like any wacky shoots or anything like crazy happen at a wedding? Or oh, Yeah. I mean, I think everybody has those. We, our very first wedding um, was a couple that we knew really well, still know them well and love them to this day at one of their extended family members' property. 
and the property was beautiful and the owner was a doomsday prepper. And I mean, in every sense of the word, had a bunker that he dug by hand, a three-story gum turret with ladder that he welded together in it. And he wanted us to climb to the top of it so he could show us cars that you would crank start that way when they knocked out the electric grid and your car would no longer start, he could crank start his cars kind of situation. Dang. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we've, and we've done all kinds of amazingly fun things that I would not have gotten to do. You know, I'm a huge architecture and art fan and we got to film in a beautiful Frank Lloyd Wright property that hardly anyone gets to see anymore. Mm. I've gotten to, you know, travel to the Bahamas and do some work with some of the missions that are there. And just, I mean, even when we film weddings, like hearing people's stories and seeing this one small part of someone's life play out is, is so meaningful. And we wouldn't have gotten to do any of that without this business. Yeah. Do you have any couples who still like reach out afterwards? Oh yeah. I have some from like years and years ago that still, you know, just are incredibly special. In fact, I don't have favorite couples because I love all of them, but maybe I do have some I like more than others and some weddings that are just, and it's not the amount of money somebody spends on their wedding or the fancy details or the expensive dress or the overwhelming amount of florals, but some people are just so, oh, it means so much. And so probably five years ago, we have one that Chris and I both were like, oh God, that was the best thing ever. These people are the best thing ever. And then I had one this year and it was the first wedding that I filmed after I was fully immunized Mm -hmm. and everyone at the wedding had their vaccinations. And so it was the first wedding where people could like unabashedly hug and feel good about it. Like people had been doing that at weddings anyway, but you could tell that there was like this hesitation, like, is this okay? Are we going to kill each other? (laughs) And and it was also, you know, a lot of times families have gone a long time without seeing each other. Families that are used to visiting three and four times a year did not do that. Yeah. And this wedding had a lot of that and they had hired us to film in addition to their wedding day, their rehearsal dinner and some speeches were given that were just beautiful and amazing. And there was this welcome party. And so all the guests were invited to this welcome party the night before the wedding. And when the shuttles started arriving with these guests that were family members that they hadn't seen in years, and people just started running and hugging. Mm-hmm. And it was such just a beautiful thing. Um, so I just finished editing that film. And, you know, put it out there. And this couple maybe was my previous favorite (laughs) because their wedding was also so special. Commented on it. And I was like, I don't know what means more to me. Like that I put this wedding out that I love so much. And, you know, probably other people watch it and be like, "It's, it's a great wedding. It's a great video. But yeah, it's nothing special. But because I was there and I got to experience that just highly emotional moment. Yeah. For, I mean, me and everyone else, it was really something to me. But to see a bride that I worked with like five, six years ago, see it and connect with it, 
I was like, I don't know what means more like this wedding itself or the fact that this person who I so much love and value saw it and was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, there are always those people. Well, and that's something that you don't even bring up when you talk about the magical elements of your business, but that human connection and the preservation of those memories and the ritual and just the the love, the love that's, you know, in that space with all those people together, you know, there was more than just physical distance during the pandemic. So, I mean, that's really symbolic and beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Now that we're both crying. (laughs) (laughs) You've produced a ton of videos and you've hosted events here and at your old studio. You've taken on some big renovation projects. Um, And I know you just shared about two of your favorite weddings. But if you had to pick, which experience would you say is your favorite that is so hard. And I, I think I shared something in my stories the other day about my wedding brand. It's whatever I'm working on right now. Yeah. And it always has been. Like after I graduated college, before I got my first teaching job, I worked managing a coffee shop, which, you know, I'm not like a culinary person. I don't even drink coffee um, <laughs> kind of thing. I loved working in that coffee shop. And, you know, whatever wedding is my favorite is going to be the one that I'm like immersed in and really doing right now. So my answer to that question is going to change on whatever I'm focusing on at that day or that moment. I think that speaks a lot to the essence of business magic and what I'm trying to kind of shine a spotlight on is just having that intentional energy and having that passion and that focus on what you're working on in the present moment has so much power over how things play out in the future instead of spending so much time worrying about mistakes and regrets and things that have happened in the past or just being so paralyzed by anxiety about the future and what could possibly happen, just really being there in the moment and doing something that you are so invested in. I think your clients can feel that. And I think the people that have the privilege of knowing you and seeing you work really get that sense of stability and presence and even responsibility because it's really easy to just like (laughs) to not be present and just dilly dally on things here and there and not, you know, just slowly skate by, but to really like put in the work and do the thing is like the hardest part to maintain that consistent longevity in a business yeah and you have almost 20 years to show for that so I I admire that about your business and about you and I really appreciate the time that you took to join me here in your amazing studio (laughs) that you have built this wonderful room so we could 
do things like this and for sharing more so vulnerably about your life and your business. Would you just let everyone know how they can learn more about you and check out the 304 Collective and find out how to work with you on some video content? Yeah. So you can find us at 304 Collective on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, website. I'm on LinkedIn, Rebecca Moran, and you can connect with us there. Instagram, if you are someone who likes to connect a little more personally and see more of the behind the scenes day-to-day stuff is probably the place that we do that best. And, you know, while I do love working on whatever I'm working on at the moment, I say that with a grain of salt, because if I'm working on my website or my social media, I don't necessarily (laughs) love that. And so it's funny, my website is definitely more video and my Instagram is definitely more studio space behind the scenes of things that happen here at the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on which which side you like to see more of, you can also join our email list, in which case you get to see all of it because I send out probably two emails a month sharing our new sets that we create here at the studio where we're constantly trying to create new things to keep our space looking fresh and giving you options when you come in to use the space. So it doesn't look the same as the last person who used the space, um, sharing tips for, you know, running a small business, working on, you know, video, like I would love it if you hired me to do all your video, but I know that you also need to know how to do some of your video on how to make some fun reels, some little pieces of video content to get out there so that you can connect with your clients. We try and share that, on our website through our blog. And if you join the mailing list, you get your inbox and a very non-spammy, I only talk to you when I've got something valuable to share kind of way. (laughs) Good. Awesome. Well, thanks, Rebecca. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Business Magic Broadcast. Please take a second to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about working with me, or to request an interview, sponsor an episode, or access the transcript of this show, please visit www.courtsandcole.co using the link in the episode description below. Thank you and have a magical day.